All right. Yes, and good morning. Boy, we're we glad that you are here today. Thank you for joining us here at Dorisville Baptist Church. You know, I love that last song. And I like the line. No, I love the line where it says, Darkness rejoiced as if heaven had lost. Amen. Aren't you glad that heaven did not lose, that Jesus Christ resurrected? I love that line. Well, again, we're just so glad that you are with us today. And here we are in whatever week it is um, in our Elijah series. And today we're going to talk about getting ready to rumble. Now, now here's the story on that. Uh, back in 1984, a guy named uh, Michael Buffer was a sports announcer, and he was actually doing the boxing, um, you know, with, with Muhammad Ali and all of those. And that's actually what sparked that. And he wanted something that would get the crowd going, something that would engage the crowd, some kind of hook. And he came up with the phrase. Are you ready to rumble? Now, I said I wasn't going to do this, but I'll try to do it again. I massacred it, and, and I got some lessons from David uh, Higgs. Um, I tried talking about come doing this, but I said, oh, you need to do this. Okay. So anyway, so it goes something like this. <clears throat> are, 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 are you ready to rumble? Shoot that thing! I got it. Yeah. David. David coached me on the R part. I think. I think we can't close it. But anyway, anyway. So he was famous for that, and it was a call to say, "Are you ready for the fight? Are you ready for the white fight?" He's just famous for this all through um, these years. So today, that's exactly what we want to talk about. We want to talk about: Are we, the Church of God, ready to rumble? Now, to keep in context with Scripture, you know, when you preach the Old Testament, you've got to understand the context. And obviously the context is, is that Elijah uh, is speaking to the nation of Israel, of course, to, to Ahab uh, in our sermon today. Um, but to bring it up into our thing, how can we bring it up and not violate Scripture? And, and the part is this, you know, that, that we, you know, Israel was God's chosen people, and he was speaking largely to them, but yet we are also the people of God. And so I would like to bring that up into our time, uh, these days of Elijah we're living in. I want to bring it up into our time and ask the very same questions um, that he asked the people that day. Now, let me tell you this. It's going to be challenging. In fact, it could potentially be offensive. But I want you to hear, I had told two people, you know, I said, are you glad to be here? I said, oh, yeah, we're glad to be here. I said, hope you still feel that way after church. <laughs> and and somebody, somebody said, well, you know, we're not going to be good. We're going to be best. It's going to be great, you know. So we're really excited about teaching this. And I want to ask my friend Mello to come up, and I've asked him. He, we've talked about this last week, and uh, he said, hey, I'd, I'd be glad to pray sometime. So I asked him today if he'd come up and pray. And Mello, I want you to pray for the sermon, okay? I want you to pray for the sermon. Would you come on up? never done this before, so if I mess up, bear with me. <laughs> Lord, thank you for allowing us all to gather here today. I pray that you continue to stay with us as we go through our week. For us youth, this is our last week of school, and just watch over us and protect us as we walk in your faith. Let us hear this lesson and use it in our daily life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've got to love it. You've got to love it. Again, students, I so appreciate you guys. I told them all this morning, I said, we're so glad you're here. You know, you make us feel younger. 
You know, so we're always so glad to have our students. All right, well, our scripture today kicks off in 1 Kings 18.1. Now, remember the setup. I won't spend a lot of time here, but let me give you the setup. Remember that, that you know, Elijah, God, spoke through Elijah and issued this mandate. You know, there's not going to be rain uh, or dew for three years, okay? And then God sent Elijah to Cherith for a place to get ready for what was coming up. Then he sent him to Zarephath for an extended longer time, uh, Tim to Zarephath, where a widow was going to take care of him. And miraculously, even though she had virtually nothing, the mill jar and the jug of, of oil never ran dry for three years. And so that is the setup. Now, God said, I want you to go to Cherith, and I want you to hide. And we all went, why would you declare war and go hide? Well, those days are over. Now God is about to announce it's time to act. It's time to do. It's time to be. So in verse number 1 of chapter 18, it says, I'm going to rewrite this for you, okay, because some of your translations already do it, so I'll do this. This, The NLT just didn't do it this way. So after a long time in the third year, after a long time and in the third year, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now, we're not sure. We know the period, obviously. We know from the third year that for three years, okay, that there's been kind of a silent thing. God's working. God's preparing. God's doing. But it's kind of a silent thing for all these years, okay? But I want you to notice something. It's very important. You know, after that long time in the third year, God did speak. God did speak. And I want to tell you this. I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you're in that time of silence. Maybe you're in a time when God's not speaking very loud. Maybe, maybe you pray to prayer and you're asking for wisdom or guidance and that wisdom and guidance hasn't come yet. Um, maybe you've prayed for one, someone you love to come to know Jesus Christ and they haven't been saved. Maybe, maybe you ask God to, to heal your body and that, that answer to that prayer um, has not happened. Maybe you're in that time of silence and how difficult that is. But here's what I want to remind you, and this is so important. If you do the math, roughly, if you do the math, the third year, you know, obviously about a thousand days. Somebody say a thousand days. Now listen, that's not, that's not a vacation in Florida. That's a long time. For a thousand days, okay, Elijah's waiting. The widow's eating. He's eating. Her family's eating for a thousand days. But for those thousand days of waiting, every day, Every day, every day, they learn that lesson over and over again. God is good. God is faithful. God can be trusted. For a thousand days, they received from the hand of God the very sustenance that they needed to live. God is good. God is faithful. And God can be trusted. And I want to tell you this, that in your time of silence right now, whether it's a thousand days or two hours, just understand this, that God is good, that God is faithful, and that God can be trusted. You can always count on God for doing the right thing. So, so here's our teaching point, and this is, this is one of those big ones. It's one of those big ones. Don't misinterpret God's silence. When, when you're going through that period, it's easy to misinterpret God's silence, okay? It is not a sign of neglect or approval. It's not a sign of neglect. I don't know if you know this or not. You probably do if you're much of a Bible scholar. But when, when God signed off in Malachi, 
the last book in the New Testament, when God signed off in Malachi, he did not speak again for 400 years. He signed off by saying, you know, I will send Elijah, that prophet. And most believe that is a direct reference to John the Baptist. Okay? I will send Elijah in those days. And most believe it was John the Baptist. And for 400 years, decade after decade and century after century, there was nothing. And then when he finally decided to speak in the fullness of time, he shouted the name of Jesus. He sent John the Baptist out to declare that the Messiah was coming, and then Jesus came on the scene in age, at age 30. It's an amazing, amazing thought. Now, let me help you put that in perspective, because it's hard to get your arms around 400 years. In 1620, 1620, something significant happened. You know what, Wes? The Mayflower, the Mayflower left Southampton, England for America. Now, if you know your American history, that's huge. And for those 400 years, imagine that. Imagine as the American Revolution, the Civil War, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, the war on terrorism. Imagine as men learned to fly, as men had automobiles. Imagine all of that passing in 400 years. That's the time that God was silent and was waited to speak for hundred years. So don't be messed up with the time of God's silence. And by the way, don't don't take don't take silence as a sign of approval. Kids, I'm, hey students, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help y'all. You know, y'all are getting like old enough to date and stuff. You know, so imagine there's a guy at school or a girl at school. Okay. And, um, boy, he or she is just not a good one. Maybe into drugs, maybe into alcohol, whatever, you know. And so you know your mom and dad don't necessarily approve, but you decide to go ahead and say, you know, can I go out with Tom? Okay? So, so you send your mom and dad a text. Dear mom and dad, Tom asked me out. We'll go Tommy. Tommy asked me out for Friday night. Can I go? Okay? Now... You don't hear back from mom or dad. So you might be tempted. I guess we better say Tommy and Tommy yet. Okay? Okay? So you might be tempted to go, they didn't say no. So it must be a yes. Bad idea. See, silence isn't God's approval. And when your mom and dad don't respond to the text, it's not an automatic approval either. You, you, you know, you adult people who have jobs, you know. So, so there's a big deal. There's a big inspection on Friday, but you really need to be off on Friday. You want to go fishing, okay? So you text your boss. It's kind of like your friend. Say, hey, boss, can I be off on Friday? And you don't hear back. So you say, well, you know, he didn't say no. So it must be a yes. So he looks for you on Friday, and on Monday you're looking for a new job. See? So don't assume, don't assume. When God is silent, don't assume he's neglecting you. Listen, he, he is not a neglectful God. Come on, you knew better than that. He is not a neglectful God. Okay? And, 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 don't take silence as approval. 
So, so often we do this. We, we, we pray a prayer. You know, we, we do. It's kind of like they did with the fish and loaves thing. You know, Jesus said, go see what you can find for lunch. And they, I, I bet on the third row that day, they ran into this kid with five loaves and a few fish. And they said, well, there you go. Let's go back. Don't assume that. Assume that God's got more. So don't take it as a neglect or as approval. It's, listen, it's only a sign. It's only a sign that he is working and preparing to act. You know, there's a great scripture in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 3. It's awesome. Now, again, keep in context. A prophet talking to the nation of Israel. But, but, the, but the principle jumps right here in our laps today. He said, the prophet said, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. In other words, you know, the vision that God, the plan, the plan of our sovereign God, okay, awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It's, it's like a coon dog hunting a coon. It waits, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. You know, the prophet is saying, God has a plan and it is going to happen. God, you need to hear this. God has a plan and it is going to happen. Culture can't change it. Political parties can't change it. God has a plan and it will happen. It hastens. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. We have a problem waiting. So this wonderful prophecy says, if it seems slow. Does God ever seem slow to you? Does it ever seem like, God, you just need to get it in high gear? I love this. If it seems slow, wait for it. Don't act. Don't go ahead. Don't move forward. Don't make a change. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. I know so many of you and me are frustrated where culture is, where our country is, and all that. And I promise you, listen, God has a plan, and he's working it. Don't take his silence as neglect or approval. He is waiting. He has a plan and he is working it. Um, there's a great scripture in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says this. The Lord is not really being slow about his promise. Did you underline that in your Bible? You need that. The Lord is not being slow about his promise. As some people think. No. He is being patient for your sake. Now listen to this. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Now as you sit there, as you sit there and get your t-shirt and a wad about the times we live in, remember that. You know, God's not slow concerning his promise. He's got this mellow, he's got everything under control, guys. He's got everything under control. Hey, don't, don't think he's being slow. Rather, he's being patient. Because when the end comes, grace is over. He knows that. And he wants as many as possible to experience grace. He wants people to repent. And God has a purpose for your... Carol? Carol Nolan? Carol Nolan? I want you to know I looked for you and didn't see you. So I didn't get a chance to shake your hand, but I want you to know I'm glad you're here. Did y'all see me turn around and looking? I was like this. 
Didn't see you. Glad you're here, Carol. Now that I'm there, she's deaf. You'll never come back. But anyway. All right, but anyway. So, so understand that, that God is working his plan and he will bring it about. Okay, so in verse number 18, the second part of verse 1 and 2, we find out what God said. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What did he say? He said something very important. One, he said, I want you to go and present yourself to Ahab. Now, now remember the first time? I want you to go and hide. Now he says, I want you to go and present yourself to Ahab. Okay, what is the difference? Mm, this is good. Time with God. Three years. God is good. God is faithful. God can be trusted. Three years. What happened that go hide, now go? He's a different man. He's prepared. He has spent time with God. He believes God is good. He believes that God can be trusted. He believes that God is faithful. So I want you to go, and I want you to confront Ahab. Number two, I will send rain on the surface of the land. There's a promise. There's a time, there's a time for rain, and that time is now. I want you to notice this. Without hesitation, in verse 2, so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and then notice this. The famine was severe in Samaria. God did not enjoy this judgment. God had to send this judgment to bring people back to him. And he knew that enough people had starved to death. He knew it was time to show mercy and time to show grace. So he sends his prophet Elijah now to Ahab. What's our teaching point? The time of waiting is replaced with a time for action. There's there's a time for you to wait. Are you believing this today? You know, I, I said last week several times, someone needs this. Someone needs this. There's a time for you to wait and there's a time for action. And as you, as you spend time with God, you're going to learn to discern which one. As you spend, just like Elijah, as he spent those thousand days believing God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted, as he spent those thousand days, he learned to discern. He learned to discern. So the time of waiting is replaced with a time for action. God, now this is important, and this one gets a little bit hard. God is ready to end the drought... But relief cannot come till the sin of idolatry is dealt with. Relief cannot come till the sin of idolatry is dealt with. See, God is a God of justice. And so the sin had to be dealt with. There are a lot of good brains that are smarter than me who honestly believe that this day of Elijah is a day of judgment. Whether God's leading to the time when Jesus comes back, these are end times, or whether God is calling the world, and in particular our country, back to God, either one, either way, they believe that this is a time of judgment. And God wants to end the judgment. But to do that, sin has to be dealt with. Now, let me throw this out to you. First, I know it's a cultural deal. I know it's a cultural thing. Now, since we live in America, I'll speak of America. America has drifted very, very far from God. Now, keep in mind, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's not like America has special dispensation with God. You know, America loves, you know, God loves America, but he loves all people and all nations. Our country did have good founding roots 
of Christianity, okay? Not, not all the founding fathers were Christians, okay? But we had good roots. That's why we have what we have today. But the bottom line is God wants to send relief from his judgment if, in fact, it is judgment. But the sin's got to be dealt with. And specifically, the sin of idolatry needs to be dealt with. If we, want, if we want to see revival in America, if we want to see revival in this world, sin has to be dealt with. And in case you've forgotten, we have the answer. And his name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. We, if we want to see sin dealt with, the answer is Jesus Christ. We have got to get the message out there. But one more thing. That was the easy part. Here's the hard part. We've got to make sure we are not guilty of the sin we want to see removed. We've got to make sure that we are not victims of, of, of proprietors of this sin of idolatry. I am certain America has more gods than Athens uh, back in the time of Paul ever dreamed about having. They just have separate names. They have different names. But we have... We are a God of many, many gods. And God can't bring grace and mercy till sin is dealt with. We'll come back to that. Stay with me. In verse number 17, the Bible says, So when Ahab, Elijah goes, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you the one running Israel? Okay? Is that you the one running Israel? Uh, uh, Israel. Our teaching point says it very click, clear. You know, Ahab in his pagan state. Somebody say pagan state. His his lost state. His heathen state. His false god worship state. Ahab in his lost state, his pagan state, assumed that Elijah had offended Baal, Ahab's god, the god of rain. Causing the drought. So from Ahab's perspective, it was all Elijah's fault. And frankly, it was all God's fault. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. We have got to be ready to rumble. Because as this culture continues down this path, as God tightens the screws of judgment on a culture that's turning his back on him, they're going to look for someone to blame. And they're going to blame us. They're going to blame God. And they're going to blame his church. I promise you this. If Roe versus Wade is overturned, every botched abortion in America, they will try to lay at the feet of pro-life and Christians. They'll try to say, if you'd have left it alone, this wouldn't have happened. And you mark it down. More and more, the finger is going to... And guys, listen, you've got, you've got to be ready for this. You know, students, you've got to be ready for this. The days of easy Christianity are just about gone. We've got to be ready for what lies ahead. Are you the one that is running Israel? They'll look for someone to blame. And then in verse number 18, uh, Elijah responds and says, I have not ruined Israel. It's not me and it's not my God. But you and your father's family have. Because you abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, this is a picture of culture. 
I haven't ruined. God hasn't ruined. But your father and your father's family has. Because one, you've abandoned the Lord's commands. Our culture today has abandoned the Lord's commands. But can I be honest with you? That's what lost people do. That's what lost people do. Okay? And, and you, you have followed the bales. Well, that's what lost people do. They find a God to follow and they follow it. What did somebody say? Everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. So, so, so the world is just doing. But here's the deal. Write this down. Let's just not make sure it's us. Let's make sure no one can point a finger at the church and say, you've abandoned the work or the commands of the Lord. I'm fearful that we have. We have become a group of believers who tend to, we be in the nationwide church, not just Dorsville, but we have become a group of people who tend to do what's culturally acceptable. We, we tend to do easy and not hard. Let's make sure we are, as a people, are not abandoning the word of God. Let's make sure we don't follow other bales. Make sure we don't. We'll, we'll touch it in just a moment. But again, we live in a, a culture that is so prolific with false gods. And when the world looks at us, mm, 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 when the world looks at us, there has got to be no question who our God is and that we follow Him. Let me say it again. When the world, when culture looks at the church, it is imperative that there's no question who our God is and that we follow Him. So, our teaching point, Elijah, in his godly state, knows that Ahab and the people of Israel have sinned against Jehovah, causing the judgment to fall. You know, it's a great scripture. It happens to be number one in the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. I am. And the Lord your God. I rescued you. Somebody say rescued. Don't forget that. Because you say, well, why, why should I follow God? I know I'm a Jesus follower and I want to go to heaven. But why should I? Because he's the one who rescued you. I am the God who rescued you from the land of Egypt. The place of your slavery. Now listen. You must not have any other gods before me. There is not room. There is not room in your life for two gods. Again, I said before, God does not want to be number one on your God list. God does not want a God list. He wants you to understand that there's only room for one God and not a peripheral of one. Okay? Only room for one God. Okay? I am the God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place your Savior. There must not be any other gods. So listen to this. Here's our teaching point. We live in a land whose landscape is strewn with idols and false gods. We must walk carefully and wisely. If I were to ask you today, first, would you agree if that's true or not? Okay. Do we live in a land whose landscape is strewn with, with false gods and idols? You know, what would that look like? What would that look like? I, I've got four things I wrote down. They're broad terms. Um, prosperity, the God of money, 
The God of Mang. Um, the God of power. Power. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So true. Pleasure. That's a big one. Pleasure and pride. Pride. Now, now those are broad, but let me ask you a question. What, what would they look like in your life? If I were to ask you today, um, okay, so, so what, is a, what is a temptation for you? What would you make a God? Good question. Hard question. But a fair question. What would you say you're tempted to be with a God? So we have to walk carefully and wisely because they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Okay? Now, verse 19. So Elijah moves on. Um, now listen. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now these are two of the main gods, okay, in that culture, the culture of Sidon. Remember who Jezebel is? Yeah, the daughter of the king of Sidon, who is the home place of Baal worship, okay? Now, these are the gods that she grew up with. Why do you think those 450 prophets, I'm sorry, 400 prophets of Asherah ate at her table? Because, they, man, they were like buds. They grew up. She grew up worshiping these gods. Her daddy, mm, her daddy taught her to worship these gods. Mama, Daddy, don't teach your kids a false god. Make it clear who your God is and who you worship. When they grow up and become on their own, you make sure of one thing. More important than their degree and more important than anything else. Because they know who God is. They know who God is. Well, we move on. So, they invite these people, these 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And you say, man, that, that, that sounds like bad odds. Well, look at this teaching point. When you know. And when you believe, the end of the story, you need to worry about numbers and odds. When you know the end of the story and you believe the end of the story, you don't have to worry about the odds and the numbers. I love the story of Elijah, and I'll try to tell it quickly, but I love it. Now, this is not Elijah. This is Elijah, the guy who follows Elijah. So they're one day, and they're in the country of Aram, and you know they're kind of like in a dangerous situation, and, and you know, Elijah's lackey, helper, assistant, you know, wakes up and he sees in the dawn all these enemy soldiers surrounding them. And so, I mean, I just love this story. And so he, he shakes Master away. Master, Master, we're in trouble. We're surrounded. The hills are full of soldiers. Ain't you know Elisha said? <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, the number that are for us is greater than the ones against us. So the helper naturally assumes that Elijah failed math. Because he sees one, two, and he looks at the hills and sees hundreds, perhaps thousands. And Elijah prays a prayer. You know he prays? Father, open his eyes 
that he can see. So God opens his eyes, and surrounding the city are all these soldiers, and ringing the hills are the warriors of heaven. Now listen, I don't care how bleak this game gets. We know, we know, we, we know and believe the end of the story. And if we could see with heaven's eyes, we would see the vast numbers. Don't you remember when Jesus said, I could call legions of angels all at the beck and call of our Savior. And the warriors of heaven stand with us. The battle is not ours. It is God's. It is God's. So we got to know this. When you don't believe the end of the story, you don't worry about numbers. Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28? Don't be afraid. Somebody say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We heard that in the, in the scripture today. We heard in our songs, don't be afraid. Well, why? Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body because they can't touch your soul. Jesus said, Jesus said, no, wait, wait, wait. He said, don't be afraid of those who can take your body because they can't touch your soul. He said, well, well, who should we be afraid of? Who should we revere? Who should we respect? Who should we honor? Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The bottom line is God first. God first. Respect him. Revere him. Honor him. Because our bodies and souls hang in the balance with him. Not with the people. Not with the government. But with, with God Almighty. Well, verse 20. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites gathered and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. So, so he does that. And, and, and verse 21a it is the keystone. If you're wanting the big idea, if you're wanting what it all means, here it is. Then Elijah approached all the people. And said, how long will you waver between two opinions? He looks, he walks over to, you know, later he's going to call the people to the altar. But now he walks over to them and he says, okay, he says, okay, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? Difficult. I believe God's asking us the same question. As the church in America, when we so desperately need to be the church, when we so desperately need to stand with the one true God, when, when we desperately need to be a light in a dark country, when we desperately need for our student friends and our children to know who our God is, he asked the question, how long will you waver between two opinions? You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, come on, he said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters because either you're going to love one and hate the other or you're going to despise one and, and love like the other. Which, which one is it going to be, Jesus said. James, the half-brother of Jesus, speaking to God's people. Someone say God's people. Yeah, not to culture, to God's people. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, you adulterous people. Don't you know 
that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Whoa. How long will we waver between two opinions? I think they call it an emotional affair. It's where there's no physical touch, but emotions are intertwined. It's as bad as a physical affair in some ways. But we justify and say, well, it's an emotional affair. You know, we didn't do anything. God says, when you have that inappropriate friendship with the world, it's committing adultery with the world. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So what's the deal? What's the issue? Why is this happening? Ooh, that's a good question. Why is this happening? Well, A.W. Tozer gives us an answer. And this is probably the best quote, the strongest quote that I've used probably in a year's worth of preaching with you. Here's what he said. For millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is to the non-Christian. Now, in Psalm 14, 1, the Bible says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And if you look in there, there is an italics. So the fool says in his heart, no God. No God. He tells God, no. We call that practical atheism. It's a person who says he believes in God, but lives as if, as if he does not. A person who believes in God, but lives as if he does not. So for millions of people, Christians, there's no, God's no more real than he is to the non-Christian. Here it is. This is huge. They go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. To so many professing Christians, that's what they love. They try to love an ideal, a principle, if you will. Uh, some, some rules, some habits, okay? And listen, tell you something. We have got to get Jesus beyond ideals and principles. We have got to get Jesus off the pages of history and alive in our lives. We, I love this book dearly. But Jesus has got to be more, mm, Jesus has got to be more than a name on a page. He's got to be the king of our lives. Thank you, Mr. Tozer. They go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. Ideals and principles are fine. But he's not Jesus. We got to be loyal to him. Well, we're almost done. Twenty-one. Uh, be the second part. So, if the Lord is God, Elijah says, "If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him." He said, "You can't keep wavering, especially in this culture. You can't keep wavering between two opinions. If God is God, then follow Him." But honestly, if you look in your life and you see some other gods, whether it be prosperity or pride or power or prestige, whatever it might be, if you see another god, then follow him. But you've got to decide which one are you going to... And see, and see, and see, and see, this God doesn't want a notch in his belt. He wants to redeem souls. And we are the vessel. But in order for us to be the vessel, the mouthpiece, the hands, the feet, the finances, we got to decide if the Lord... It's God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. 
You know, I'm going to go ahead and slip down to verse 21. It's just, we're omitting the story of Joshua and, you know, choose you this day. You can read it later. But 21, it's heartbreaking. Here's this man of God trying to talk to the people. You can't waver between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal will follow him. And you know what the people said? Nothing. In verse 21, the last part. But the people didn't answer him. A word. They hear this dynamic truth and they don't answer him a word. I know, I know you very well. Most of you, some I don't, I know, but I know so many. I've, I've walked with you for 22 years. I know most love God. We, we love Jesus. And, and, and we want to, listen, we want to see America turn back to God. Somebody amen that? You know, we want to see, we want to see once again a, a nation that, that not, as a, not everyone, but as a nation as a whole, follow and believe God. Well, if that's going to happen, God's going to use us. God can do anything. You know, God can cause a donkey to talk. But the job of the church is to share the gospel, the light in a dark place. Our, there's a quote here that says this. Wait, there we go. This is attributed to Ed, I always like to let you know, Edwin Burke, chances are he didn't say it. They don't know who said it. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for the church to do nothing. If we want to see our families, our communities, indeed our country, and in fact this world, the church has got to be the church. And the church has to determine that we follow the one true God and his one true message, that the man who died on this cross is and was the son of God, that he was buried and rose again on the third day, and that we believe for a man or a woman or a child to have forgiveness of sins, it is through faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And we've got to carry that message outside these doors. Harvey Cox said, not to decide is to decide. You'll leave here today and you're going to do something with this message. You're going to do something with the truth here. Just remember this. Not to decide is to decide. I want to close with a, a brief illustration about squirrels. You know, in Harrisburg especially, it seems like there's a thousand of them. And you'll be driving down the road. Yards is usually Church Street. And, and out this squirrel comes. And, and you've seen it. 
You know, they get there, they look at you, you look at them, they go this way, they go that way, they go this way, they go that way. And sometimes they make it, and sometimes they don't. Roads are stained with the ones who couldn't seem to make a decision. You drive, you try to avoid, and you pray you don't hear the thump. Because when you hear the thump, you know he didn't make it. We're the kind of people that kind of grieves our heart when I run over a squirrel. But what's that compared when the world runs over our families, our marriages, our country? Let's not be that squirrel who dies in the middle of the road because he couldn't decide. Let's determine today, let's decide today that the Lord, he is God, and we will follow him. Let's decide that we're going to fear what culture and society can do to us. We would rather respect, honor, and fear God, who has in our very, his very hand our soul, Would you bow your head? Thanks for listening today. Thank you very much. But yeah, I just feel like this is so, so important. God wants to remove, if in fact, let me word it this way, if in fact this is a time of judgment, God wants to remove that judgment. He's not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance. Would you determine today, would you be willing today to make that decision? If you're a Christ follower, to leave this place saying, no matter what, no matter what's popular, no matter what's easy, I choose to follow him. If you've never made that decision, oh, it might be my privilege today, to share with you just how much God loves you. How much, Dwayne? Yeah. He loved the world so much, he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a Roman cross and said, if anyone's willing to believe in him, he would forgive her sins and they could have eternal life. Regardless of skin color, economic status, titles you think you have or don't have, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. He waits to forgive. Today, we call this our time of the decision, and I'll be waiting down front, and the altar's open today. Maybe you want to come and pray for your family. Maybe you want to pray that God help me to be the daddy or the mama or the grandmother or grandfather I need to be. Let me be the guy at work that sets the example. Let me be the student in school that they know I belong to Jesus. They never have to doubt that. And maybe you want to come and pray about that. If there's another decision you need to make, I'll be glad to talk with you about that. So God, I want to thank you for the privilege that you've given me to share this truth. And Father, we acknowledge uh, it may not have been the easiest sermon to hear. But Father, it's so necessary. So I want to pray in Jesus' name that you'll speak to our hearts. Cement truth. Don't let Satan steal this. Cement truth in our hearts. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.
Amen.